is Christian Questions. Story in which Kaiser, a German emperor, asked Bismarck, Can you prove the existence of God? Bismarck replies, The Jews, your majesty, the Jews. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Christian Questions, talk radio with a purpose with Jonathan and Rick. This isn't your typical Christian commentary. We love talking with our audience, and we promise to never talk at you like so many talk shows do today. This is a conversation about biblical topics as we look at them from a different perspective. And Rick, that perspective is based on godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, all in a politically free zone. Jonathan, the best part is this. We talk and you listen, and then you talk and we listen. You can also contact us at our website, ChristianQuestions.com. I'm Rick. And I'm Jonathan. And we're glad you've chosen to spend some time with us on this fine Sunday morning. And Jonathan, what's up? Where are we? Well, we're in Johnstown, Pennsylvania at a Bible conference. And our question for this morning is, Israel, God's chosen or obsolete? Our theme text is found in Romans chapter 4, verse 16. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. And Jonathan, this is an important question. Israel, God's chosen or obsolete? And to manage this question, we have a guest here with us this morning. Uh, Chris Napchinski is in. I'll give you a little bit of rundown on, on Chris in a moment. But good morning, Chris. Good morning, Rick, and good morning, Jonathan. Good morning. Folks, all Christians studying the Old Testament realize the important role given to the nation of Israel by God. We can easily prove the Jewish roots of the Christian faith. And yet for many centuries, the Christian demographic has been almost exclusively Gentile. So, is Israel still on God's radar screen? Modern history tells us about Israel's reestablishment as a nation after 2,000 years of exile. Daily news confirms that it is, in fact, for real. Is all of this God's doing? And if so, well, then what's the plan? Folks, stay with us as we discuss these intriguing questions. And Jonathan, as we were talking just before we went, went on the air this morning, this is a really, really important subject. It really is. See, because Israel, if you're a Christian, you have an opinion. Right. <laughs> so, so we have Chris here uh, with us, Chris Napchinski. And, and, and let me just give you all a, a quick rundown. Chris is a longtime friend of ours uh, and a friend of Christian Questions. Uh, he is thrilled to be supporting Christian Questions. Uh, he calls it an energetic effort of sharing scriptures based on discussions. Uh, on, and member, he's a member of a Christian congregation of Bible students in Chicago. Chris grew up in Poland, where the Warsaw Ghetto used to be, and that's going to be a fascinating story as we get into that. And um, now it's replaced by apartment buildings. Uh, he frequently has intersected with and studied Jewish themes fascinated and humbled by Jewish history, their experiences and current situation in Israel. And Chris also participated in a week-long seminar offered by the Yad Vashim, Israel's memorial to the Holocaust, prepared especially for a Christian audience. Um, so, and that was on location in Jerusalem. And uh, Chris, you're excited about the opportunity to share in the conversation with us on this important topic of Israel. Um, so actually, as we get started, Chris, I gave a little bit of background on you, but um, why do you have such a fascination with Israel personally? Well, Rick, uh, I uh, have to say it's a, definitely a privilege to be here uh, with you and uh, the opportunity to share some of our uh, views and exchange uh, in a discussion about uh, Israel is very 
uh, important and special to me. Uh, I think it really comes from uh, the understanding that we as Christians have a lot of common themes and common overlapping uh, both heritage and information that is shared with the Jewish history and the Jewish nation. And uh, as we've already said, the Old Testament uh, is such an important uh, part of our faith system, and we know that, that Jesus came from uh, the Jewish nation. So uh, what that makes me wonder is exactly what are the roots of our faith, and as we look at the content of the Old Testament prophecies, we see the history of the nation of Israel developing, and we see this very special care that they were under for many uh, thousands of years. But something had changed, and something drastically turned into a, a pretty depressing story. Very depressing, almost a non-existent story, actually. That's right. And so, as we look at the history of this nation, we are mindful of the various promises that were given to them, and we try to understand what is that relationship between us Christians and the Jewish nation, especially now when we hear uh, on the news, almost on a daily basis, um, updates about the nation of Israel that was reborn about 65 years ago, uh, reconstituted after uh, returning from the, um, the terrible scourge of the Holocaust in which um, six million Jews perished. And we see how progressively the history of this nation uh, has been evolving as to, to the point where today a lot of the focus on them is very negative. And, and actually what we're going to do is uh, let, let's stop and, and take a listen to a little bit of the, the kind of reaction that the world seems to have uh, to Israel. So let's go to a, uh, a soundbite that is just a little bit of a mix. It's relatively short, just a mix of, of, some, of, of uh, uh, some news and some reactions to the existence of the nation of Israel right now today in 2013. They used armed commandos to attack an international, or I should say a humanitarian convoy in international waters. I think everyone can agree that there's no possibility, there's no way to justify using armed force against what were clearly unarmed humanitarians trying to relieve an illegal siege of Gaza. The harlot, the United States of America, who brings the beast Israel to power, is starting to buck against her master, which will end with Israel destroying this country when it no longer needs her. It's unbelievable. You think any other ally has that kind of power over the U.S.? Not even. So, <laughs> again, just a, sh a couple of short clips, and Chris, that gives us a sense that, that world opinion it does not seem to stack up on the side of Israel. So as we look at Israel from the standpoint of a Christian, you're going to have sort of an intuitive uh, reaction. You're either intuitively sort of for Israel or intuitively against Israel. And we want to we just get into those intuitive reactions in this first segment. Folks, if you have a thought, if you would like to weigh in on your position on Israel and, and what you think about Israel and is Israel part of God's plan, or has Israel been left behind, we'd love to hear from you at 866-985-4255, toll-free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And we want to hear what you have to say about today's topic. Post your comments on our Facebook page or our blog. Go to ChristianQuestions.com.
Okay, Chris, uh, intuitive arguments against Israel. You're a Christian, you look at Israel, and some Christians look at Israel, and the intuitive reaction is, no, no good. Why, why would a Christian see it that way? And, and we only have about six minutes here, so what do you think? Excellent. Well, you know what? I, I think that what we see is uh, some of those intuitive arguments really are uh, at the core of our Christian beginnings. When when you think about the uh, situation in which Jesus is led uh, to the Sanhedrin and to the Jewish authorities uh, at the moment of, uh, of his be- being accused, and then uh, there is the incited crowd in Jerusalem who... Uh, uh, murmurs or, or shouts, uh, crucify him, and then they say, his blood be on us and, and our children. And uh, this story that has been for uh, many generations, of course, repeated as we read the gospel and reinforced by many uh, Christian uh, churches, that has caused that type okay, of... Okay, so you have this crucify him, crucify him, and we still look back upon that, and we and when we say, yes, you blame the Jew for the crucifixion of Jesus because you had this crowd shouting such, and that has just grown, is what you're saying. That's right. Okay. And, you know, we also see the negative, um, uh, d- negative judgment on the nation of Israel from the Bible uh, itself, and really that is the uh, interesting and a very special... Um, thing that we find about the scriptures, that the Bible does not hide anything that is wrong with a someone who is a servant of, of God, but it does uh, offer uh, information about some, some corrective actions, and as prophets were sent to admonish the nation of Israel and, and various kings uh, who were not compliant, so were uh, the prophets also admonishing the whole nation of Israel to stay faithful, remain obedient to God's laws. And actually, Jesus was also critical of the nation of Israel at okay. that point. Okay, all right. So you have, you have Jewish reaction at the time of Jesus, which sheds a negative light on Israel. You have prophecies that show a punishment to Israel, and that sheds negative light. And you have Jesus himself, basically, your house is left desolate. So, so those are some of the intuitive negative reasons why a Christian would look at Israel and say, yeah, no good. I mean, look at all this evidence. So on the other side of the issue, in the intuitive reaction to get somebody, a Christian to look at Israel and say, no, wait, there's something good here. Why would someone intuitively say that? Uh, well, we definitely see how we have this very special affinity for the Jewish culture, their values, history, and examples. And we know that we owe our uh, faith, our Christian understanding to the Jewish brethren who were, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, initially were in the, um, uh, very much in the foundation of the Christian faith. Okay, hang on one second. You're listening to Christian Questions with Jonathan and Rick and our special guest, Chris Nepchensky. Our subject this morning, Israel, God's chosen or obsolete? If you have a thought, give us a call at 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Okay, so we're going through some some reasons why you'd look at it. So you say the heritage is such that Christian heritage, in fact, is Jewish heritage. That's right. So And, and that's a big plus. Okay, what, what else? Uh, we also see that the scriptures... Uh, display a hope for the nation of Israel, which is very difficult to um, 
interpreted any other way. For example... So that's hope in light of... In light of All, their, all the punishment and all the negative stuff. That's correct, okay. yes. And, and so while God does not hide it, uh, he ha- was displeased with some things that happened in the, in the nation uh, and, and also in their response to uh, him. But at the same time, he, as a wise parent, uh, approaches them in a way that causes a correction. And he also specifies that there is a time set, that, that favor or uh, grace toward the Jewish nation uh, would return. We have these wonderful prophecies, such as uh, the one in Amos nine fourteen through 15, uh, that says, I will restore the captivity of my people Israel. And we know that they were dispersed for many centuries. Uh, and they will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will also plant vineyards and drink the wine and make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them in their land, and they will not again be rooted out. So we see this kind of positive expectation. Okay, so as a Christian, folks, if you're listening and saying, you know, hey, I'm not sure where I stand, what it really comes down to then is what part of the input you're going to be willing to listen to as to how you react and then look at, at Israel. And so what we want to do on this program this morning, folks, and that's why this is such an important subject, and if you can't be here for the whole thing, go to ChristianQuestions.com and pick up the archive afterwards. But you want, to, you want to get the sense of what do the scriptures say as a whole about Israel, because we can, the knee-jerk reaction can be, oh, no, they're done, or no, they've had troubles, but God is saying, wait, there's more. Now, can they be done, and can there be more? That's kind of the, the issue that we're going to be looking at here. So as we wrap up this segment, we, that's a big question. This is an important subject. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick with our special guest, Chris Nepchinski, and our subject, Israel, God's Chosen or Obsolete. Coming up, there are two main Christian views regarding Israel's national restoration, replacement, and separation. Which is right? Could they both be wrong? <laughs> That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick with our special guest, Chris Nepchensky. And our subject this morning is Israel, God's Chosen or Obsolete. To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And we do have Chris Napczynski with us. Uh, And Chris, we mentioned at the beginning of the program, you were born in Poland. That's right, yes. Uh, and uh, it was um, about 25 years ago that I uh, immigrated to the United States, and now I live in the Chicago area. You were born in the Warsaw area. That's correct, yes. And, and Warsaw was one of the cities in which, uh, before the war, the population of Jews was quite significant. And uh, when the Germans occupied uh, Poland, uh, they arranged the, the ghettos, which were basically walled areas, and in Warsaw, right on the street where I then 20 years later after the war was born, was a, uh, it was within that ghetto area. And uh, there is a lot of uh, still traces of the Jewish pre- pre- history there. There's a Jewish cemetery on one end of the street and a monument now that has been uh, 
built up as a as a museum of Jewish um, of commemorating the Jewish victims of the Holocaust. There. So, so, folks, our guest has very personal experience with post-Holocaust history, literally, because that's where you lived, and that that just that's that's mind blowing to me. And Ricky had so much information, uh, historic information on Israel that we just don't have time to cover it. But you can go to ChristianQuestions.com and sign up for CQ Rewind, and you can get all of the historical facts of Israel. And, and Jonathan, as a matter of fact, CQ Rewind is only available at ChristianQuestions.com. There's no place else in the whole world you can get it. It is a document that we make available to our listeners. You sign up for it on the website, and uh, we will email you a link each week that gives you a sense of how, how, how the program went, what we talked about, the things we couldn't talk about because we didn't right. have time. There's graphics and illustrations. And, Jonathan, we are sitting here uh, in, in, uh, a, at a Bible conference in Johnstown, uh, Pennsylvania right now, so we're away from the studio. Actually, we have a room full of people with us. That's right. They're, they're being very nice and quiet. But one of our, our, our listeners here in, in the room, her name is Coretta. And Coretta, where are you from? Jacksonville, Florida. Jacksonville, Florida. And you had commented to me yesterday about CQ Rewind. Yes. What about it? I love the Rewind because I'm a very visual person. And when I'm listening to the program, um, the recording of the program, I can follow along, and there's pictures and other little tidbits, and it's just perfect for a visual person. It's almost like you're watching the program while you're listening, so it's wonderful. Okay, and so Coretta got to meet the person who actually does CQ Rewind because she's here as well. So thank you, Coretta, for that. Folks, if that's not a great commercial, I don't know what is. (laughs) CQ Rewind, available only at ChristianQuestions.com. Sign up. It's free. So, Chris, let's get back to this now. Uh, Jonathan, at the end of the last segment, mentioned that there's two main ways of looking at Israel from a Christian standpoint, a replacement theory position and a separation theory position. Define what each of those are, and then let's discuss them. Yeah, so definitely there's a spectrum of these views that try to answer the question, how does Israel and the church relate? Right. Is what's been written in the Old Testament uh, just given over to uh, the church and Israel is no longer relevant, or is there some sort of a hope and some sort of an extension for this nation that so visibly was was rejected um, uh, or set aside, as some would say. So the, the first mainstream view that uh, we definitely are, are seeing a lot uh, of is the uh, replacement theology, uh, also known as supersessionism, and both of these are probably supersessionism, like I understand what that means. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not, you know, we are sitting here together. It's a supersession. No, it's, yeah. actually, <laughs> it, it, it's actually coming from the, the verb to supersede or to take somebody's place. And so uh, this uh, the- theology or this theory builds up an understanding that the Jews were at one point in God's favor. But when uh, the time came for uh, Jesus, most of them did not accept him, and therefore they were rejected. However, uh, the promises that were originally given to them, such as you, that they will be blessed, that they will be uh, cared for, protected, and that uh, they will even stay, stay in the land, they were all transferred onto the Christian church. Okay, and so so replacement, replacement then, because I'm going to move you along here, replacement is you're in, you're out, what you owned, we got. Correct. All right. And, you know, those who believe in this may not uh, exactly 
see uh, see it this way. Some some feel that even this term replacement theology is negative or kind of pejorative, and so they they would prefer that uh, they're called covenant or reformed. And there's too much. And, and, and we'll we'll discuss there. the yeah. the replacement uh, theology in a, in a moment in more depth. Okay, so we got a, sort of a sense of defining what replacement is. What is separation and the okay. separation theology? What does that mean? Right, so separation theology, or also known as dispensationalism, and that's the term that's, again, kind of interesting. Dispensation is really a period of time. And so this approach sees that God's plan is developing across certain time frames. And so it sees a, a number of dispensations, or times, when God was dealing with different groups of people, was looking at various um, audiences, so to speak. And so they believe that uh, the nation of Israel had their time, and that now is the time for the church. Okay, but so the nation you, of Israel has not been rejected. So you had a dispensation of Israel. Now you have a dispensation of Christianity. Church, yes. But there's more to come for Israel. There's a they're they're coming back. Another dispensation. That's right. That's the separation. Yes. Okay. And the, and the most popular approach or view to the separation uh, theology or dispensation is that in the very soon upcoming times when uh, Christ would be returning, uh, there's going to be a regathering of Israel uh, that, that is already happening, as we see. And so those who believe in the uh, separation or, or that the fact that Israel is going to be, uh, you know, coming, coming back, they are very enthusiastic about supporting Israel at this point. Okay, so... see all this coming back. So, so you have uh, the, the, replace, uh, the replacement... Uh, Theology folks would probably not then be nearly as supportive of Israel. Is that kind of where we're coming from? That is correct. The, okay. The very intuitive reaction of someone who would subscribe to replacement would be that what's happening in Israel right now is kind of coincidental. It's just like any other nation re regaining their freedom. All right. Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255, toll-free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. Stay connected to Rick and I at ChristianQuestions.com, no matter the day or time. And uh, we have with us our guest, Chris Napchinski, who has extensive experience uh, with Israel. He's been to Israel. You grew up in Poland, uh, where there were concentration camps and ghettos and so forth. Uh, you're not that old, but <laughs> but uh, you did have the experience of being in that same exact area. So, so, so Chris, let's let's talk a little bit further about the replacement theology. I mean... When you look at it, there, I, I'm looking at that, and, and we're going to sort of develop your perspective as we go here for the audience, but uh, I'm looking at that and saying, well, Christianity did replace Israel, didn't they? Yeah, when you look at the size and the popularity and the progress throughout from the time of um, the establishment, uh, you know, the, the early years of the church, you definitely see that there is... Um, a, a greater impact, a greater influence, and you do see that now, uh, in Christian view, it is the, the Christian um, perspective and the belief in, in, in Jesus and inclusion of all the Gentiles that really um, makes that to be a, a pretty fair statement that, yes, the nation of Israel is kind of not, no, no longer in the picture. Okay, and you know, there's a scripture here, Chris, I just want to get, get your sense on, because when you're looking at the replacement theology, uh, we've got validity. Take a look at Amos 3.2. You only have I known of all the families of the earth, therefore I will punish you for all your iniquity. And that does show a, a very negative situation, and, and, and the replacement theology says, well, you know, they're, they're, they've been pushed aside, and the, the, the consequence 
is to have lost their standing. And is that true? Well, you know, it's like with, with a parent who is punishing their child. And as we know that a smart parent, when they punish their child, they really have one thing in mind, a correction and a ability for uh, that child to, to recover from their mistake. Now, the fact that they were known and exclusively known as the Scripture says, you only have I known, means that they were very special and near to God's heart. The fact that they failed something doesn't necessarily mean that they are rejected forever, but that now they need to experience some uh, p- period of, ex- of, of difficulty that perhaps will reinforce the reason why their faithfulness and why their uh, belief in God, uh, which they actually have, have maintained, but why their obedience needs to be uh, continued. All right, so, so just by the, the tone of your voice and the way you're, you're describing this, you don't sound like you're a repla- uh, replacement theology individual. Um, no, I actually don't, don't subscribe to it, although, uh, as, as we probably will mention a, a few points, those that actually have a certain negative uh, judgment on the Jewish people, especially you know in the times of Jesus, uh, those would be the sentiments that probably we might share with with this approach. Okay, and, and let's get into another point. And again, folks, this is an important subject, and the, the the body of Christianity, if you will, has a a variety of very focused opinions on this. So, if you'd like to share yours or ask a question or be part of the conversation, it's eight six six nine eight five four two five five. Toll free. 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Now, now, Chris, look, you, you had talked to me before the program, and you, you'd mentioned the point that the gospel was initially meant for Israel, but the gospel does, was, was taken away from Israel. Well, you know what? It's, it seems that definitely the, the gospel was at first directed to Israel. For example, we uh, see that Jesus uh, preached the message of the kingdom in the context of Israel, and at one point he says, I am sent only to the lost sheep of Israel in Matthew 15. Uh, and when he was sending his disciples, he said, do not go into the way of the Gentiles, do not enter the city of Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So the whole preparation was actually intending to bring the nation of Israel to a special opportunity. And it was exclusive. It was. So, so again, if you are of the replacement theology mind, and I'm, I'm sort of taking that position here, you have this exclusivity that was given to Israel, and Jesus himself said, your house is left desolate, he withered the fig tree, he did all of these things that give you a sense that, okay, you had it, but now it's gone. And, and that's what replacement theology is built upon, and, and those are valid points. But what you're saying is, well, tell me, where, where, where does replacement theology take those valid points? Show me kind of the end result of those, those points with replacement theology. Right. So, so uh, you know, of course, as a Christian theology, which uh, obviously sees that the blessings go to, to all, all people through Jesus, those who believe in him, uh, replacement theology will affirm that, yes, the Jews are also uh, included as part of the new uh, church uh, whenever they individually accept Jesus. Right. But as a nation, national uh, opportunity, there is really no more hope or reason to think that any sort of regathering or reinstatement will occur. 
they spiritualize those many pr promises that we will read here and, and, and we'll find on the website. Okay. Yeah, and now just sum up a couple of those promises because we have like two minutes before the end of this particular segment. Right. So, uh, so for example, uh, the one that uh, we have read about uh, from, from Amos, they will say that uh, the one, uh, the, the prophecies that talk about regathering and return to the land, that they actually were fulfilled uh, either uh, at the time of the Babylonian captivity, which is kind of difficult to defend, or that they are just spiritualized in a way where you return to some position of favor with God, but it's not really geographic. And so so even though a prophecy says land, it doesn't mean land from a replacement theology standpoint. It means favor. It means having these blessings that the land would picture giving. Exactly. Okay, so replacement theology says that all of those promises that you look at, and there are a load of them in Absolutely. the scriptures, have no meaning, no bearing on a physical world, but it's only on a spiritual world. That's right. Okay, got it. What, what else? we got about uh, another minute before yeah. we wrap up this segment. So, so what we want to say is that uh, as, we, as we look at various parables that Jesus gave to uh, the disciples, you have the parable of the workers in the vineyard where the owner desires fruit from the husbandmen and they don't deliver. In fact, they pursue the servants and they kill the son of the owner. Parable of the wedding garment when some are invited, but they say, oh, we don't have the time or we are too busy, too preoccupied. And the invitation is sent to others. Those were various uh, pictures in which Jesus was implying that, yes, Israel did have this chosen status, but uh, that because of their uh, attitude, it would be given and shared with the others. All right, so as we look at this whole thing, the replacement theology has validity in terms of where it gets its information. The question we're going to start putting on the table is, does that validity hold true throughout all of history that has not yet uh, happened physically? This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick with our special guest, Chris Nepchinski. Our subject, Israel, God's chosen or obsolete. Coming up, the growing BDS movement. What do they stand for? What do they do? Are they a friend or an enemy of Israel? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning... Israel, God's chosen or obsolete? We have our special guest, Chris Nepchinski, with us. And we want to offer, through Chris, uh, two wonderful booklets. One is, Will Israel Survive the End Times? And the second is, The Israel-Arab Peace Process and Bible Prophecy. And, and, and how, that, can, how can anybody get those booklets? You email us at rick at christianquestions.net. And if, if you can't, if you don't have a computer, but you'd like to get the booklets, where can they write to us? They can write to us at P.O. Box 1837, New London, Connecticut, 06320. And uh, if you have a thought on our subject today, give us a call at 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. 
We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now on our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And we're doing a lot of groundwork here uh, with, uh, with Chris uh, Napchinski, talking about the ways Christians look at Israel. And folks, in the second hour, we're going to be talking about what should we do with it. What should we practically be doing with our everyday Christian life in relation to Israel? So if we're not on in your area for the second hour, go to ChristianQuestions.com, click Listen Live, and stay with us for that conversation. Um, Chris, you know, I'm, I'm going to put off the, the little bit of personal history because I don't think we have time right now. We had talked about the BDS movement at the end of the last segment. Now, BDS stands for what? It's um, a short for Boycott, Divest, and Sanction, which uh, is has its objective to pressure, uh, pressurize, put, put pressure on Israel to cease development activities in Judea and Samaria, which are the disputed territories uh, right now that really, uh, if you look at the map, that do uh, comprise of the land of Israel that was uh, originally uh, theirs, and the perceived injustices to the Palestinians uh, and they seek to delegitimize Israel's rights to the territories. Okay, so and this is a growing movement in 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 uh, breadth and power. And we actually have a soundbite that is is defining uh, what this BDS movement is about. So let's let's go to that soundbite. Uh, and we got this right off. All I did was type into YouTube, you know, BDS, and this is this, this is one of the soundbites that came out. The Palestinian cause has long been synonymous with violence, terrorism, and Islamic fundamentalism. A new generation of pro-Palestinian activists are working to change that image. These young, eloquent speakers, educated in Western universities, are making the rounds on news programs violence only begets more violence. and on university campuses advocating their vision for Palestine. We advocate rights. They're part of the BDS movement the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement. And their message is clear. We need to boycott Israel. No one should buy Israeli products. They invoke humanist, progressive, and socialist values. Quality, freedom, and dignity. Justice in Palestine. A democratic movement based on the struggle for human rights. And aim to garner the support of students, trade unionists, and even Jewish civil rights activists. BDS is particularly vigilant against any form of Palestinian-Israeli collaboration. And, and that last statement, Chris, is very telling. It is particularly vigilant against any form of Israeli-Palestinian collaboration or cooperation. And so this BDS movement is not Christian. It is, it is a secular movement that is built upon that, that replacement theology, which basically says Israel doesn't have any right to anything anymore, anywhere. Get them out, get them out, get them out. And I think also in addition to perhaps being a, a borrowed concept from the replacement view that Israel has no, no longer any, any validity, the um, aspects of the BDS movement kind of dwell on the popularly perceived uh, uh, kind of a public opinion or public sentiment, which is very easily fanned by various uh, incorrect statements. And so uh, a word of, of warning to those who, who are evaluating these ideas is to actually go deep into the arguments that are, that are there uh, and to really appreciate the fact that uh, Israel... Uh, as a as a state right now, though no perfect, it is founded uh, with the ideas of uh, equity and democracy. But but also they are founded on the roots of the 
law of Moses, and therefore, if you go into the, the various detailed uh, responsibilities that you have toward a neighbor, that you have toward someone who is not from your nation, are those of respect. And therefore, you see that perhaps it's a new kind of trial for Israel, where you have uh, a pressure point or criticism that is exactly at the high moral values that the Jewish nation stands for. Now, let's and, be okay. very careful with uh, getting those details right. Okay, and, and that's an important point. What you said, it talked about the Jewish nation and high moral values. When you look at the secular news, you don't see Israel portrayed as having those high moral values. So that's something you're saying, you've got to look deeper than that, because there's much more to it than that. And just one quick, one quick fact, folks, before we continue, and, and Chris, we need to get into understanding separation theology, which sounds like it would be more along the lines of your thinking. Um, so, but we'll, before we get to that, just understand something. There, the population of Israel today is what about seven million, correct? About seven million in Israel, about thirteen million worldwide. All right, so there's seven million uh, individuals who populate Israel as a nation. How many of those people who are citizens of Israel are not Jewish? There is about one and some million. Uh, Arabs, Arab Israeli citizens in Israel. Okay, so let's let's understand this. Let's get this straight. If you want to say Israel doesn't have high moral values, how many nations in the Middle East have a Jewish population? And the answer is none, except for Israel. Israel of their seven million, one million plus are Arabs. They have voting rights. They have equal rights. They work together and they live together, and they don't have a problem. So if you want to get into an argument about, about who's, who's taking care of who, look at the statistics, look at the numbers, look who has voting rights where, and look who's available to have voting rights where else, and you're going to see that there's a big difference. I, I, I could get on a soapbox on that. I'm not going to. Separation theology, Chris, what is it, and why do you lean more toward that, that camp of thinking in, in relation to Israel? Right. So, so separation and overall understanding that God is developing his plan with mankind with, with people over time is, a, I think, a very uh, true and scripture-based approach. Okay, so the first point is that you can't look at what's happening this moment and determine the will of God. You have to look at, at history, past, and prophecy future to determine the will of God. That's okay. right, and, and the understanding that we are somewhere in the process of God, God developing his plan, that some things might not yet be completely ready, some may be developing, and some have, some have happened already. We have the benefit of looking back at history and seeing and learning from these lessons. And in fact, this is really the purpose and, and objective for anyone as we look back at the history of, of human race and our own history, our own life, that we learn from, from our experiences. But So are you a strict separation theology individual? Well, if there is a pure version of this uh, separation theology, which I think we could see that there, there probably is one that tends to both expect Israel's return uh, and restoration and uh, enthusiastically support them, but also expect some further developments down the line that are quite dramatic and in a, in a way short-sighted, uh, I probably would not subscribe to that. Those Okay, so, so you, you, as we talked earlier, there are certain things from the replacement theology that you say, yes, they're legitimate, but the end result, uh, a little shaky. That's right. So your personal position, then, is from the separation theology, yes, there's a lot of legitimacy, but long-term, 
still a little shaky. That's right. And so you're you're like he's right and he's right. Mm-hmm. Yes. How can they both be right? That's right. Yes. <laughs> like uh, I, I work in technology, and usually we call this the hybrid solution when Plan A or Plan B doesn't work. Well, hybrid doesn't necessarily mean you combine ev- everything from both, but rather you you look at certain aspects of of theories and and try to bring together what makes sense uh, in the uh, in light of the scripture. You're listening to Christian Questions with Jonathan and Rick with our special guest. Chris Nepchinski, and our subject, Israel, God's Chosen or Obsolete. If you have a thought, give us a call at 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now on our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And, and Jonathan, we've got to remind the listeners to subscribe to Seeker Rewind, the full edition, especially for this week, because you should see the material Chris supplied us. I mean, there are pages flying around the room practically. There's so many pages of material, and we're just skimming over the top. So Julie, our chief rewinder, is here sitting in the audience listening to us live here in Johnstown, She's Pennsylvania. She's got a lot of work to do. She right? does. She's going to have the bonus material on this thing. is going to be longer than the actual uh, pro- program because there's so much, folks, that you've got to, to have at your fingertips to get the true answer. And in the second hour, what we're going to do is take all of the scriptural evidence and say, okay, what should I do as a Christian right now today Where should I stand scripturally in relation to Israel? Should I be a Christian Zionist? Should I should I be going to Israel? Should I be giving them my money? Should I be praying? What should I do? Converting them, right? Big big question. Big question. That's the second hour. If we're not on in your area, go to ChristianQuestions.com. Click Listen Live and stay with us. So a little bit more, uh, Chris, just before we wrap up on separation, maybe some 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 prophetic view of of why separation brings Israel back into the picture. That's right. It really highlights uh, the scriptures that we see as not being able to be interpreted in any spiritual way. For example, uh, we read in uh, Genesis 13, 13 through 17, And the Lord said unto Abraham, Lift up now thine eyes, and look for the place where thou art northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all of the land which I seest. To thee I will give it, and to thy seed forever. Okay. Yes. In this scripture, we see that Abraham, who was then named Abraham, is brought into the promised land that God called him out from earlier. We see that he stood somewhere in a position, and in fact, it's probably somewhere in the current areas of Judea and Samaria, and he's looking at this land, and, and the, the Lord tells him, look around you, go uh, these four directions, and this will be given to you personally and to your seed forever. So these are things that if we try to really rationalize them, we really would have to work uh, very hard about that. Well, of course, there's various ways that... Right, because a, a, a replacement theology individual can say, well, you know, in, in Galatians it says, if you are Christ, then are you Abraham's seed, therefore you've just taken the inheritance away. That's right. But you, you're saying, no, that's not what is that's supposed to mean. That's right, and in fact, uh, it's, uh, the, the, it's not only us here thinking this way, but the apostles were saying uh, that Abraham actually did not receive this promise and that he is still awaiting. Uh, like in, okay. in Acts 7-5, we, we read uh, uh, in the speech that Stephen, the one who was being stoned at that time by, by, the, by his Jewish brethren for believing in, in, in Christ, he says, but Abraham did not receive not even a foot of this 
promised land. He did not possess it. He was basically just sojourning and traveling it there. The only place he bought was the uh, cave for Sarah's uh, uh, internment. Okay, so another quick uh, prophecy you might want to touch on before we wrap up this hour. Uh, excellent. Uh, here we have, uh, for example, Deuteronomy 30, uh, verse, starting with verse 1. And it shall come to pass, when all these things come upon thee, the blessing and the curse, which I have set before thee, thou shalt call them to mind among all the nations, whither the Lord thy God has driven thee. So we see the, uh, the very specific prophecy of dispersion of Israel. And okay. that they get, will be called to mind. Get to the key point of this, because we've got about a minute before we have to wrap up. The, the Lord will turn thy captivity, have compassion upon thee, will return and gather thee from all the nations where the Lord scattered thee. Okay, so there are several prophecies, and again, go to ChristianQuestions.com, sign up for CQ Rewind, the full edition, and you can get a whole bunch more. Chris, wrap up your thinking for this first hour before we go to the second hour. Where do we stand at this point in our discussion? Excellent. We, we've summarized that we are really deeply rooted in the history and tied to the history of the Jewish nation. We see that there are different views from Christian standpoint, whether or not Israel as a nation has hopes or not. We've identified the two separations and uh, okay. the other one. And, uh, okay, folks, listen. You know, this, there's, there's so much to talk about here. You have to stay with us for the second hour because we've got to get into the practical issues of what do we do with all of this. So the scriptures tell us how to be specifically in relation to Israel. And we want to do what God wants us to do, right? So stay with us for the second hour so we can find out exactly what that is. For Jonathan and Rick, it's Christian Questions. Our subject today is Israel. Are they obsolete? Are they still part of God's plan? There's much, much more. So stay with us. We'll be back after the news and all that. But until then... Think about it. is Christian Questions. A.J. Heschel wrote, The heart of the relationship of God and man is reciprocity, interdependence. The task is to humanize the sacred and sanctify the secular. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to Christian Questions Talk Radio with your breakfast with Jonathan and Rick. This isn't your typical Christian commentary. We love talking with our audience, and we promise to never talk at you like so many talk shows do today. This is a conversation about biblical topics as we look at them from a different perspective. And Jonathan, what is that topic this morning? Well, Rick, our question is, Israel, God's chosen or obsolete? And our theme text is found in Romans chapter 4, verse 16. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also, which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. And, uh, Jonathan, to tackle this subject, we have with us our guest, uh, Chris Napczynski. And, and, Chris, you were born in Poland. I was born in Poland, and uh, I uh, grew up in the areas that were uh, previously, before the war, uh, quite populated by, by the Jews. They 
for a large portion of the Polish society before the Second World War. So, so, and so you have physical, personal experience with post World War II Poland, which most of us have no clue about. So, the Poland you grew up in was what about twenty years or so after World War II. That's right, and mm, you know the the Jews that perished in the Holocaust that were in the Polish territories were about 90% that actually were uh, were killed in the in the Holocaust in the concentration camps. So and, by the time in terms of numbers up, that would be 3 million uh, 3 million Jews. So so yeah. I mean folks just just picture that in in the country of Poland which would have had a population of about how much? Of about 20 uh, or so million. So a population a country's population of about 20 or so million uh, the Jews, three million were were executed in World War II. About ninety percent of the Jewish population, right around where you grew up, and so you grew up with that that backdrop of history. That's right, and in fact, the Jewish uh, culture and, and population was very small. I do remember going to a, a Jewish theater, which uh, the Jewish community in Warsaw maintained and and tried to really continue to cherish the the culture. But many Jews. Uh, those who remained emigrated to Israel. And in fact, I have a photograph of someone who um, sent a, a thank you note to someone she considered their pa her parents. She emigrated to Israel and thanked those people who hid her from the Amazing. Nazis during the war. Amazing. And, and, and folks, we're looking at Israel this morning very, very carefully. And what we discovered in the first hour is there's just many ways that Christians look at Israel. There's those who say that Israel had their chance, they blew it, we're, we're the chosen people now. That's sort of the replacement theology. And then there's the separation theology that says, well, no, Israel had their chance, but God is, is, is going to still work with them and restore them. Uh, and Chris, you've told us that you don't subscribe to either perspective exclusively. You take a little bit of one, a little bit of another. So in this hour, we're going to look at, okay, uh, for, for us, practically, what does the Bible say is the importance of Israel? And in this segment, Chris, we want to focus on Israel. You, you kept saying, you know, you pointing to scriptures and prophecies about the regathering of Israel. Why, if, there no, if, if Christianity is, is God's focus at this moment, why does God bother to even regather Israel if you've got Christianity in place? So let's look at some prophecies and so forth. And folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. Go to our website and become a Twitter follower to learn about upcoming programs and new updates posted. Our website has over 500 archived programs. Go to ChristianQuestions.com. All right, Chris, let's go to some prophecies about the regathering and why. And just like uh, we have read the theme scripture uh, from Romans, Romans 4.16, uh, we realize and we see that the, the Bible does hold out the hope for somewhat of a dual heritage of God's salvation. A dual heritage. Yes. So, so kind of like a two-pronged attack? A two-pronged attack to address the, the problems that, uh, okay. that are to be addressed by means of eradicating, uh, removing evil. And we would like to quickly look at uh, the scripture that is really key to our understanding of this two-pronged approach, and that is Genesis 22, 17, and 18. That's Abrahamic promise. Now, right. in the context of the nation of Israel, Abraham is the grandparent of Jacob, right. who is Israel. Uh, also Israel. Right. And it says here, I, in blessing, I will bless thee, and in multiplying, I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven 
and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. So what you're telling me then is in, in, that, in that prophecy given to Abraham, in that promise, that's not just simply poetic. No, and in fact, it's very interesting that it develops into this twofold approach, of, of which even the scripture from Romans 4.16 talks about the two developments of that seed. One would be the earthly associated with the law, and one would be the one associated with, with faith. And, and the uh, heritage of Abraham's promise was continued first through the uh, Jewish nation. Without them, this promise would have, been, would have disappeared, but they carried it on. And they, were had, as we mentioned earlier, had their first opportunity, and some of them did take it, to participate in this development of the heavenly seed. Okay, so they had the first opportunity. Some of them took it, most of them didn't. But why be regathered now? Okay, we've got a two-pronged approach, but still, we're not. I'm not clear from a scriptural standpoint is what's the actual physical purpose of regathering? That's right. Well, the, the purpose is that as we pray, thy kingdom come on earth, uh, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we expect that the fulfillment of these promises will, will be on the uh, on the earthly level, and therefore it's necessary for Israel to be uh, part of this uh, of the this scenario that will be played out to bring uh, information about God. And let's go to a scripture from uh, Isaiah forty nine one through six. He said to me, "You are my servant Israel, in whom I will show my glory." But I said, I have toiled in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely the justice due to me is with the Lord, and my reward with my God. And now says the Lord, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, so that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God is my strength. He says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob, and to restore and preserve the ones of Israel, and I will also make you a light of all the nations, so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Okay, so so Chris, there, there, this is a prophecy from Isaiah talking about Israel. What, so does this give us a sense of what's the purpose? Yes, the, this purpose seems to be, as we read in the very last words, that God's salvation may reach to the end of the, to the end of the of the earth, and when they are uh, regathered, I will bring them back. And so we see that this restoration and preservation of Israel is because they are going to have the role of being an instrument of bringing both information about God and information about salvation and obedience to all the nations, not just, um, not just a, a small group. So in, in that prophecy, it says, you are light of the nations. So, and you, you said something very interesting. You said the, you know, the, the regathering and preservation of Israel. So my, my sense from, of your perspective there is that you're saying Israel has been regathered largely. I mean, in 1948, we have physical history that shows them as a nation. But you're saying that they are there for a purpose to be a light of the nations so his sal- God's salvation can reach the rest of the earth. Therefore, that regathering will not be undone. That's correct. And, and uh, in many ways, the scriptures say that they will not be again pulled up. And this gathering is going to continue, and in fact, more so, in addition to the 
just the regathering of all who are living right now. We have strong promises, and just like we read about Abraham, who hasn't yet received this promise, that the restoration of Israel is also connected with bringing the uh, bringing life uh, and and resurrection. Okay, so. So the regather you, now. See, there's some interesting things here, folks. If you're listening, see, I'm reading between the lines of what Chris is saying is what I'm doing, and and he's saying the regathering is not yet complete. Now you'd think that okay, it's good, they're there. I mean, so what more do you have to do? But you're saying that there, this is an ongoing building process. That obviously your perspective is God is behind this process according to prophecy. So, so the end result is, again, to be that beacon of light to the nations, uh, so that, and, and this is what it says in Isaiah, so that my salvation, God's salvation, may reach to the end of the earth. How about... Um, there is another scripture good, that we'd good. like to read, Deuteronomy 4, 5. See, I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do thus in the land where you are entering to possess it. So keep and do them, for that is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as is the Lord, our God, whenever he called on him? Or what great nation is there that his statutes and judgments are righteous as this whole law which I am setting before you today? All right, Chris, Deuteronomy 4 or 5, what's that telling us? Yes, it's a wonderful uh, scripture that tells us that the wisdom and justice of God's law, which was given to the Jews back in the Ten Commandments and the additional rules, is very valuable and can constitutes an explanation of God's uh, rules that, that they do not become obsolete. Yes, the way to reach salvation, as we know, by perfectly obeying all these was difficult and impossible for imperfect people. Uh, therefore, we have the opportunity to be uh, invited through Christ, uh, through grace, and that grace will be extended to, to all mankind. But the principles, the justice, the wisdom that was shared through the Old Testament, through the books of Moses, will definitely be the basis for the law for all the nations in the kingdom. Okay, so now I, I want to throw you a curveball on this. Yeah. Because, so we have these prophecies, and folks, go to ChristianQuestions.com, sign up for Seeker Rewind, the full edition, because there's about, oh, I don't know, ten prophecies we're not even touching on that, that, that balance the point. But here's the thing. You're saying Israel, in a sense, then, has, has regained favor, right? That's right. Okay, Israel's regained favor. How in, how in heaven's name does the Holocaust fit in with regaining favor? Because, you know, you look at that, and that is one of the most horrific examples in all of history of, of, of national extermination. And I know that's a tough question, and I'm only giving you a couple minutes here, so let's just get started on that. Yes, yeah, definitely it is a very difficult question, one that um, many grapple with and caused, has caused many to lose faith in God. Right. Uh, you know, uh, we, when we were visiting uh, in Israel and, and had an opportunity to meet with a Holocaust survivor, a question to them was, well, what, where did you see God in this experience? And right, said, right. I, I don't think he was around. I think he must have been somewhere else. So we, we see that there is definitely a big trial of faith. However, what we do see is that in this development of God's plan in a grander scale, the Holocaust was perhaps a fulfillment of one of the prophecies, like in Jeremiah 16, 16, which talks about fishers and hunters who are going to be sent out to 
motivate the remaining Jews who were uh, scattered all over the, the world to continue and make the, their return to Israel. Well, it was definitely a terrible, terrible uh, tragedy. We can say that though the Lord, as it says in Zechariah 1.14, I'm exceedingly jealous for uh, Jerusalem and Zion, uh, and I'm angry with the nations who are at ease, for I was, well, I was only a little angry, they furthered the disaster. In other words, the, the uh, animosity, the hatred that had developed toward the Jews, uh, especially in Germany and especially through the, um, a, a, you know, the agent of, of it, uh, who was Hitler, uh, really was much greater than the punishment that was, uh, to, to, that was right or the motivation that was uh, right. So, so basically what you're saying is God can use the hideousness of humankind to press his prophecies along. And you have that prophecy that kind of shows that, and it also gives us a sense that if there was no resurrection, this would be a, a question with an unending answer of of of, of depression. So, 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 folks, we're going to continue to to look at the Holocaust just a little bit. There's so much more uh, in, in relation to Israel and what our position should be. This is Christian Questions with Jonathan and Rick with our special guest Chris Nepchinsky. Our subject: Israel, God's chosen or obsolete. Coming up, has Christianity in any way contributed to anti-Semitism? We're talking about love your neighbor as yourself, right? Maybe not. That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick, with our special guest, Chris Nepchinsky, and our subject this morning, Israel, God's Chosen or Obsolete. To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And Jonathan, in our last segment, we were discussing with Chris um, the Holocaust, which is a hard discussion no matter how you have it. We're not giving it a lot of time this morning because it's, it's, as tragic as it is, it's a small part of a much bigger picture. And that much bigger picture is a much grander picture in terms of of the happy ending, if you will. But, Chris, there there was one quote that you put in the notes that I think we we should read because it's it's kind of fitting that we're going to ask for you to wrap up the the, the segment on the Holocaust. This is based on Martin Niemöller, a German pastor uh, who lived from 1892 to 1984. First they came for the socialists, and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a trained trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. And that kind of sums up the, the tragedy of humankind in a sinful state. We, we sort of get wrapped up in our own world and when we see, you know, the, the, the World War II was not merely a tragedy of war, but there was, a, there was a focus on the Jewish nation to exterminate a particular nation. And you look at that and say, how could that be a, a, a reflection of God's favor? Just, just yes. a couple of final thoughts on well, that. Well, we, we certainly see that. And we see that God chooses very, sometimes tough and difficult to accept at the moment, uh, situations. We, we really see that. But we do see that the hope of life, the resurrection, which is offered and promised to everyone who has ever lived through 
through Christ, will allow everyone who perished in the Holocaust, Jews and others and many others did, to come back and uh, rejoice in uh, God's kingdom. So it really is the comparison of a moment versus eternity. That's right. And, and it, even though in the internal sense uh, their life will be brought back, we cannot discount the lessons and the responsibility right. that the nations uh, had, uh, both supporting and protecting uh, these innocent ones who, who perished. And, and not only had, but still have. And still do. Because if we haven't learned that lesson, how sorry are we? And, and, and as we, we, go, we sort of shift from the Holocaust, Chris, with that in mind, with that tragic, tragic, tragic period of history in mind, what's the history of Christianity and anti-Semitism? Is, is there a connection over, over the ages since, um, you know, since the time of Christ to now? Well, you know what, it actually was the focus uh, of uh, our seminar there at the Yad Vashem, which is the institute that commemorates those who uh, perished in the Holocaust. And there, many of those who, who attended uh, with, from many different Christian backgrounds were learning, uh, perhaps for the first time, that there were indeed, uh, lo- was a long history of uh, anti-Semitism that was uh, part and parcel of the developing Christian religion uh, even as early as the second century. Okay, how about how about some examples on that? Yes. So, and, and folks, if you have a thought, it's eight six six nine eight five four two five five. Toll free eight six six nine eight five for all. We are live Sunday mornings from seven to nine, and that means we're on right now. And Chris is offering two booklets through Christian Questions, um, two free booklets. One, Will Israel Survive the End Times? And second, the Isra- Israeli Arab Peace Process and Bible Prophecy. To get that, email us at rick at christianquestions.net. And if you don't have a computer and you'd like to, to write in for those, where do they write to, Jonathan? P.O. Box 1837, New London, Connecticut, 06320. Okay, so, and they're great booklets that put a lot of scripture in with a lot of reasoning to give us a conclusion that, that it actually, Chris, is a very good conclusion. But before we get to that good conclusion, we have to go through some sad history. So, so some ex- clear examples of Christian history. Well, we have uh, the so-called church fathers who, uh, in the early centuries of Christianity, were really probably trying to get back at the Jewish uh, community and the Jewish nation who by then were already dispersed. Uh, Their hurt feelings, perhaps, as a result of those who would persecute them, such as, you know, Saul of Tarsus and others, and perhaps the, um, the, the promises of a higher blessing that Jesus offered somehow made them very insensitive to the Jewish cause, and in fact, uh, quite opposite to what the Apostle Paul would say uh, in the chapters of Romans 9 through 11, where he uh, is very sympathetic and regretful and tells not to boast over those who originally were part of that Abrahamic uh, promise. But anyway, to just quote some examples, Justin Martyr, writing to a Jewish leader, Trifo, uh, in A.D. 138, we don't know if this Jewish leader even existed, Uh, But he says this, your scriptures, and he says that to the the Jews, are or rather not yours but ours. And he states the prophetical gifts formerly among your nations have been transferred to us. So replacement theology was in existence right from the very, very beginning. 
And, you know, as early as you have this one example of Justin Martyr, AD 138, a very clear-cut statement of, of, as we started out with the program, okay, it was yours, you lost it, we got it, goodbye. That's right, yes. And, and in fact, that somehow feeds the um, improper and perhaps unregenerate un- quality of, of uh, hatred and vengeance. And so, therefore, we, we do need to pay attention to this, as, as we are warned by uh, the Apostle in Romans 9 through 11. John Chrysostom. Uh, AD 387. Okay, so uh, a couple hundred years later. That's right. And he says, since the deicide, or, or God-killing, as they, the, they would describe the uh, crucifixion, the Jews have been delivered into the hands of their demons, and they are only fit to be butchered. Oy. And there are some other expressions here that are not fit to the, to the, uh, you know, on the radio. But he argued that when Christians beat and murder Jews, the Jews are to blame, and not the Christians who had acted through God's will. So, this, folks, you know, so, sometimes you have to look at the, the history of your own movements and see it for what it really is. The history of Christianity, uh, just by these two examples, is replete with examples of hatred, of hatred toward their, the actual their, the roots of their faith, toward, of, to, toward Judaism. And that is a travesty in terms of, of, of what Jesus would have us do and think and say and believe and, and act upon. For more details on this, go to ChristianQuestions.com and sign up for CQ Rewind, and you'll be able to get all of these quotes, uh, which you probably won't enjoy reading, but, <laughs> but, but it's history. Well, and you know what, though? You're right. And, and just as we look at, for instance, we look at the Holocaust and we say, you know, what a terrible thing that was. We have to, with, with integrity, look at the history of Christianity and say, look, the history of Christianity isn't glowing no. in a lot of areas. And let's look it square in the eye. Let's see it for what it is. Let's understand it. Let's learn from it so that we can take it and, and just like with the Holocaust, say never again, never again, never again. Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866 985 toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And our website is ChristianQuestions.com. Yes, it is. <laughs> I'm glad you remembered. <laughs> uh, other examples? Yes. You know, we know of Martin Luther, who, who really we respect for his courage to stand up to uh, the organized uh, Catholic Church by then, very, very strong, very courageous, very conscience-oriented. And yet through the development of his views on Israel, uh, he originally was hoping that the Jews would accept Christ, uh, mm-hmm. whether those that were close to him or those just through, throughout the world. But as that did not happen, because the Jews had already had centuries of bad experience of trying to be forcefully converted, he actually regretfully changed his views and in a way to advise to those princes with, with whom he was in Germany and in close uh, relationship, uh, he advised them to, um, in a booklet called Concerning the Jews and Their Lies, to burn all synagogues, to forbid the Jews to travel, destroyed Jewish dwellings, uh, forced them to do physical labor, and so on and so forth. So and this is Martin Luther. This is Martin Luther, but you almost think this is someone who was living in the 30s in, uh, in, in Germany in 1938 and is executing the uh, Kristallnacht uh, event, which was the demolition of synagogues and the burning and the imprisonment and forcing to concentration camps even before the war. And so it was commented that they only did what they had read in Martin Luther. So 
again, even even great reformers still had that that sense of of their their worthless. Now, when we look at the reformer Martin Luther, you say, "Wow, that's an unfortunate uh, experience, an unfortunate perspective." Because obviously, what we're seeing from scriptures is none of that is true. What we're seeing, as you mentioned so many times in this program, is that God, as a wise father, will punish for a time with the thought, with the with the objective of bringing back into favor. And that's exactly what has happened and what will continue to happen with Israel. But along the way, Christianity has gone off the path with that. And, and one other example of this that, that I think is important, because we talked about a reformer, what about uh, one of the popes, Pope Gregory? Yes, Pope Gregory XIII declared that Jewish guilt for crucifying Christ only grows deeper with successive generations entailing perpetual slavery. These are strong words through history from, and I'm going to put it in quotes at this point, from, quote, Christians, that, that, that give you a sense of, of, of how deeply rooted the, the animosity is. And, you know, it, all, it does go back to the, to the rejection of Jesus. And how the mistake, it seems to me, is that, that we make is we, we take that, 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 that errant judgment back then, 2,000 years ago, and we say, because of that errant judgment, there is a permanent uh, response that can, can't be re- recalled or recanted, but God's plan, God's promises, God's purposes don't tell us that. That's right. And we, you know what, just a, a very beautiful scripture that talks about God, and we won't probably uh, si- uh, quote it, just uh, that you will find it on, on the website, uh, talks about God who, uh, yes, punishes maybe to the third and fourth generation, Aha. but... For, but uh, keeps in good favor with those for thousands of generations who, who obey him. What about Christian principles of love thy neighbor as thyself or love thine enemies? Well, it seems like those things were absolutely forgotten. They were. And, and again, folks, take this for what it's worth. We're looking at Christian history with a very, very sad thought here saying we really did this as, as, as a, you know, under the name of Christ. What is wrong with this picture. So, so Chris, let, let me just shift a little bit as we wrap up this particular segment. What about Christianity and, 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 and Judaism? Should Christians try to be converting Jews at this point? And should we be saying, oh, you know, look, you know, you got to change now or else you're doomed? I mean, wh- wh- what's your sense on that? Well, that's an excellent question because, you know, for centuries the Church has felt that that really would have been the, re- the re- you know, expected response. And as we see, it has totally failed. In fact, uh, it's very difficult for the Jewish people to even start talking about Christ. It is a, a very touchy subject, and in the end, uh, it's not going to get you anywhere. However, uh, what I would say to this is that, just like if you ask me whether we need to convert the whole world now and uh, uh, offer them a chance so that they can actually have salvation, I would say that the view of a total conversion of the world is not for this time yet, that there's going to be a time uh, arranged when uh, we hear about the restoration of all things in Acts 3.21, in which the knowledge, as we also read in Micah 4-1, the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth just like water covers the sea, and no one will have to teach their brother about God. There will be a better opportunity for everyone to hear. And in fact, the Jewish nation will be a part of that education. But the 
times will have to still mature to that point. All right, you, you, ju- you just said a mouthful there, because really what you're saying is that, no, it's not necessarily something that Christianity ought to be looking to do to convert Judaism now, because God has got that in hand in terms of how he's going to put it all together. And in fact, what you're saying is the Jewish nation plays an integral role in bringing the world to God. So that is the subject for the next segment, as a matter of fact. We're going to be taking a look at that and how all that is going to be working. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick with our special guest, Chris Napchinski. Our subject this morning, Israel, God's Chosen or Obsolete. Coming up, did you know there's a thing called Christian Zionism? Should we as Christians be a part of it or not? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick with our special guest, Chris Napchinski. And our subject this morning, Israel, God's Chosen or Obsolete. To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. So, Chris, in this final segment of this program, I'll tell you, this, is, this has been a, a great experience because it really lays out something practical for us to look at as Christians. Israel is part of everybody's life. Like it or not, they're in the news every day. Even though they're only... Uh... 0.2% of the world's population. Go figure. And, and why is that? Because they're God's chosen. They do play a role. And in this segment, we really want to focus on what that role is and how it is unfolding. So sort of to set the table for that. Uh, Jonathan, let's go to just a few selected verses from Micah 4, verses 1 to 3. We're just going to read a few, few parts here. And the peoples will stream to it. For from Zion will go forth the law, even the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between many peoples and render decisions for mighty, distant nations. Then they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they train for war. So, Chris, with that prophecy, you have something, obviously, that hasn't happened yet. That's right, and it hasn't happened, and yet it's pointing to uh, Jacob and the God of Jacob, and Jacob, whom I teach and direct the nations, that they may walk in God's path. In fact, this phrase, however, they will uh, hammer the swords into plowshares is in front of the United Nations building. Right, right, right. And uh, it's the same United Nations that just uh, recently announced that uh, Zionism, or the desire for the Jewish people to return to their land, is a form of racism. So let's get this straight. The scripture that the United Nations has on the front of their building is about Zion, and they're saying Zionism is a form of racism. Get your facts straight. That's right. Get your facts straight, people. Just get your facts straight. Another, another, another scripture, Jeremiah 3. Jonathan, let's just touch on verse 17, and then we're going to go to an amazing prophecy, folks. You want to stay with us for that. At that time, they will call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all the nations will be gathered to it, to Jerusalem, for the name of the Lord nor will they walk any more after their stubbornness of their evil heart. I don't know, Chris, how much more specific do you get than naming the city? That's right, and, and especially the city that will have the effect on correcting the stubbornness of evil hearts. That's the purpose of that time in which Israel, the, the earthly seed, and the church, 
the heavenly seed will work together in bringing about a conversion, a true conversion of every individual by their willing collaboration, by being educated and informed. Okay, so you talked about, and you mentioned it earlier in the program, the two-pronged approach, the, two, the two-faceted approach, the sands of the seashore, the stars of heaven, and what you're saying is it's the physical, real nation of Israel and God's true chosen followers, uh, followers of Jesus that are going to be working together for the rehabilitation of all of the world. That's right. It is the nations that we read so much about, that there will be a blessing to the nations. Those are the the masses of the world that have never heard about Christ, that uh, will not have a chance to do it now, but that that promised time of uh, restoration of all things will be that opportunity. And how do you know about information if someone didn't tell you? And how do you know about a real experience from your life if if not when someone shares it with you? And who is better equipped to relate how God has dealt with them for centuries and how God has given them the law and how they can very well relate to it, if not the Jewish nation. So they are important. They do play an integral role. So now as we, as we, as we begin to try to conclude this massive, massive subject, my question to you is, where do we stand? Where does Israel stand right now in terms of actually fulfilling prophecy? To, to, go, to, to answer that, Chris, why don't we go to Ezekiel chapter 37 and just kind of take a look. We'll read a few verses and then give us a sense on how, where you think it fits in terms of what's been fulfilled, what's being fulfilled, and what's yet to be fulfilled. So, Jonathan, let's start with verses 1 to 3. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. He caused me to pass among them round about, and behold, There were very many on the surface of the valley, and lo, they were very dry. He said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? All right, now, Chris, before we take your comment, I want to go to a little soundbite, because this is such an intense subject. We have to have a little bit of a chuckle here, a little bit of fun. Uh, So, you know, you're talking about this valley of bones. So let's... Valley of dry bones. Okay, let's listen to this soundbite just for a second here. We should be celebrating what we have. We shouldn't be throwing it away. Uh, We shouldn't be pretending. That's the wrong soundbite. I forgot to tell you, we skipped that. We're on uh, number five. My fault. Children's song, everybody sings it and you laugh about it, but it's based on biblical prophecy. It is, and it's an, it's an exciting topic, and, and really should be, we should be rejoicing about it, just like in this, this song. This wonderful prophecy Uh, sets the prophet in this valley of dry bones, and we wonder, what is the meaning of it? Well, in verse 11, that meaning is explained. Okay, Jonathan, let's go to verse 11. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are completely cut off. So as uh, the Lord is asking the prophet, Son of man, can these bones live? The prophet actually turns back to the Lord and says, the Lord, Lord, you know, this is probably just too overwhelming for me to answer, he would say, but apparently because you're asking me this question, you must know the answer. <laughs> well, there you go. God does not ask a question that he doesn't know the answer to. So, okay, let's continue with the answer. And I answered, O oh Lord, 
You know, again he said, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God of these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you, that you may come to life. Okay. And so what happens is Ezekiel prophesies to these bones, he speaks to them, and they become covered with sinews and and flesh and skin. For the moment, there was no breath in them. But in the second command to prophesy, okay, the four uh, winds, the breath entered. So when you look at that, Chris, where how, how does that fit? Where where is Israel now? Because we're what you're saying to me is this prophecy applies directly to recent human history in the regathering of Israel. So when you look at this prophecy of these dry bones, them dry bones. Uh, <laughs> How how does Israel fit? Where are they in this in this sort of this restorative process? Yes, and you know it seems to me that it's very logical to think that the restoration, the process that started over a hundred years ago, is continuing as it uh, as it pro- uh, gradually builds momentum. And there is a whole lot of historical events that led to the return uh, of the Jews to their land with without really very little probability by scientific uh, reasons. And now they're established and establishing in, in their land. Perhaps there is not yet a perfect harmony. Perhaps, perhaps they don't see eye to eye. This, this will continue. And there is perhaps not yet a recognition of, the, of their role. But this is possibly an opportunity for us as Christians to interact with them. And perhaps if this would be the, the role that the prophet was saying. To okay, prophesy. all right. So question now, because we're, we're, we're nearly out of time. You say this is a, time, a, a place for Christians to interact. So Christian Zionism, very quickly, and I'm stressing very quickly, yes. what is it and should we be Christian Zionists? So Christian Zionism is really uh, a form of supporting the, the, the Zionist um, movement that the Jews have been involved in for over a hundred years, the desire to return to the land and to form the nation. Now, Christian Zionists take the perspective that is a harmonious view of their desire to be reconstituted as a, a Jews' desire to be reconstituted as a nation, and the scriptures and the testimonies that support it. Now, many of those who subscribe to the separation view that we have described are very enthusiastic about supporting Israel. They both support it emotionally through their uh, faith and also through financial uh, you know, support. And they're just so uh, sincere. And this has to be seen, that the, the Jewish nation does accept it and, and really values that friendship. What we see is that now when we amplify the purposes of the nation of Israel and we see the grand scheme of things, which may not always be seen in the classic separation view, which kind of seeks a very close fulfillment of the prophecy, the rise of the Antichrist, the rebuilding of the temple, and then suddenly um, there is no more big opportunity for, for the nations or for education. Right. So, so in that view, it all comes to an end very, to an very end quickly. Quite quickly, yes. Right. There, is a, there is a millennium, but it's only for the selected... And, but you're saying, no, that's too short too short-sighted, it's a much bigger picture. So as a Christian Zionist, what's your role? What should we do? How should we act? What, what is the most important thing? And, 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 and for that, Chris, let's go to Isaiah 41, chapter 40, verse 1. And Jonathan, let's read that, and then Chris, give us some thoughts on that, what it, what it means. Comfort, O oh comfort, my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her, and her warfare has ended that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So what does that mean? 
comfort her. What? It's, what? it's t- telling us to be very careful about how we communicate our sentiment about Israel. That if this is the Lord's hand and the Lord's command to regather, to reconstitute, to uh, to comfort them, we should be quite careful with the criticism and and see if we can do anything to support it in any way that we feel comfortable with, but do not go against it. So you're saying that this Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1, is a sort of a command, if you will, to Christianity? That is what I, what I see, and that is what I consider as, as my opportunity, and I think everyone should look at it from a personal perspective. Okay, so, so let me get this straight. We're looking at Ezekiel chapter 37, and we're saying... Folks, we are in the middle of the fulfillment of that prophecy. So, so really, what, what you're alluding to is the fact that prophecy is not only something that we read about in the Scriptures, and Jonathan, we talk about that all the time. Oh, we do. But it's something that is being fulfilled right now, today. And if you want to see where prophecy is being fulfilled, stop looking in your own backyard and start looking to the Middle East and look at Israel. Because the, that's, that, that prophecy in Ezekiel 37 is coming to pass as we watch it. Therefore, we have a role to play in prophecy. I mean, really, that's what you're saying. That's right, yes. That blows my mind. That is is a wonderful privilege, and and I think we all would like to be included in some way of of having this this privilege being a part of what we do do and how we act. So you take the Ezekiel 37 scripture, you say, okay, I see it happening. Then you take the Isaiah chapter 40 scripture and say, not only should I see it happening, but I should be actively involved in, in being a comfort and an encouragement because God's plan is unfolding before my very eyes right here, right now, in my lifetime. That's right. And as we see, there are many opportunities that will try a little bit of our courage and a little bit of our, um, of our ability to stand up and be, be uh, able to keep the presence of mind in, the, uh, in face of all the accusations and all the unfair statements that are being hurled, just like we heard about the BDS movement and, uh, and others. So, so really, you know... And the new anti-Semitism, as you would call this, which and, really is... And we haven't even touched on that. That's correct, yes. <laughs> it is really standing against not just not the race, the Jewish race, but rather against the nation of Israel or the state okay. of Israel. Okay, Chris, we, we have less than a minute left. Wrap it up. Give us what to you, I, I, after this two hours, what is the most important thing? Well, we definitely see that Israel is not obsolete. We've read the scriptures. We consider them that they've been miraculously recovered, regathered to their land, and this process is continuing as in the dry bones prophecy. As Christians, we respect our common roots with Israel, and we humbly accept that we have the privilege to participate in the gospel blessings, that's the heavenly part of the uh, Abrahamic promise, but we look also for the fulfillment of the earthly blessings. And as we observe the current events, we need to look for God's hand and experience the blessing by seeing his word being fulfilled. Chris, thanks so much for being with us. This has been utterly amazing to, to have you sitting here with your, your own personal heritage coming from, from Warsaw, Poland. Uh, you live now in Chicago. You're, you're an avid student of the scriptures. Uh, and Israel, obviously, is a great passion of yours. Thank you for, for being with us. Thank you very much, Rick and Jonathan. It's a pleasure, and uh, we love Christian questions. Folks, you know, you've got to realize the import of this subject and how important it is for us to be on board with what our Christian responsibility is in the actual unfolding of prophecy that unfolds the plan of God. If you want to follow Christ, you have to follow the prophecies, and you have to step in where you're supposed to step in. 
this program has given you ample opportunity to take a look at what's important. Now, my question to you is, what are you going to do about it? For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions and our special guest, Chris, we'll be back again next week with another subject. But till then, Israel, not obsolete, God's chosen, your responsibility. Till next week, think about it. <laughs>